Hello and welcome to Late to It. I'm Naomi Frisby. I'm Kirsty Dill. And this is a podcast about reading books at the right time. Kirsty, what have you been reading on time this week? I have been partaking in a cultural phenomenon. Ooh. Um, I have been reading I'm Glad My Mum Died, My Mom Died, uh, by Jeanette McCurdy which I am entirely the wrong generation to have been familiar with her acting work. Um, she's best known as the actress who was in, um, oh God, I've forgotten already, iCarly and uh, Salmon Cat, which are Nickelodeon shows, which I was not particularly familiar with, had vaguely heard of them because I'm 40 and I was not watching Nickelodeon in the um, in, in the 2000s. Um, but this book, which is her sort of memoir of her child's acting years and her relationship with her mum, has become this sort of massive publishing phenomenon um, in a way that, I mean, from talking to people in the industry, um, it seems to have really taken people by surprise, even in America, where it was um, you know, published first and originated, published by Simon & Schuster. Um, it just seems to have captured something, I think, in the way that we talk about child stars, how we look at child stars and what kind of agency those children are given when it comes to acting careers. She um, talks very, very honestly and quite brutally at times about the fact that this was not ever something she wanted. She did not want to be an actress. Her mum wanted her to be an actress. And her relationship with her mum was very fraught and very complicated. Her mother was um, a very difficult woman um, who had, uh, one, she had recovered from cancer. And um, Jeanette, I think, felt that she had to sort of go along with whatever she her mum wanted to keep her mum happy she wanted her mum to be happy and so she went along with all of this stuff that she didn't really want to do um and eventually she did get acting roles um and of course there started being scrutiny on her physical body particularly around the time of puberty where obviously her body started developing and her mum was devastated because like you know you need to look younger than you are you'll get more acting roles if you're going to be younger and so essentially her mum taught her eating disorders um calorie restriction um bulimia and as well as this um there was just very basically sexual abuse by her mother you know would not let her shower by herself until she was 16 would carry out sort of breast exams because she'd had cancer you know all the way through her teenage years. and it's quite some really harrowing stuff all the appropriate trigger warnings for that sort of stuff is quite harrowing in times um and then her mum's cancer came back and at this by this point you know Jeanette's a teenager and she's starting to sort of strike out on her own a bit she gets a boyfriend her mum doesn't approve of and her mum rings her up and just spews the most extraordinary hatred towards her you, know, you caused my cancer to come back all this sort of really horrific stuff 
And then her mum, this is a no way a spoiler because it's you know, right in the preface. Um, well, indeed, it's in the title of the book. Her mum <laughs> then died. And um, it's about her sort of reclaiming her own life. She also talks about being um, essentially, you know, um, manipulated by the person she calls the creator, the creator of um, iCarly. Um there's some really just very very dark and um, she kind of then comes to the decision in her sort of later teenage years that she's not she's just not going to act anymore or her early 20s but she isn't um, and has turned she wants to go into writing and so on and so forth um I as I said I mean I'm entirely the wrong I'd never heard of her you know I'd vaguely heard of iCarly but I couldn't have named her or picked her out of a lineup but I start, I saw so much chatter about this book online um, that I was intrigued. And so I downloaded the audiobook and it's her that reads it. And it was it's extraordinary. She has she is so composed. The writing is brilliant. Um it, it it's it's an incredibly moving and harrowing account of what Hollywood looks like as a as a child basically um on top of all the kind of family trauma that 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 went on um, and how basically as a child she was keeping her family she was the family source of income um and what kind of pressure that puts on a child you know basically paying all the family's bills because they had no money before her so i can um yeah, it's it's sort of taken the publishing world by storm, really. And I really, really strongly recommend it. It doesn't matter if you've not got the faintest idea who she was or who her, you know, who she acted alongside, or you know, she was she acted in the thing with Ariana Grande. Um, doesn't matter. I didn't know, and I thought it was an extraordinary book. I really want to read this, and I also didn't have a clue who Jeanette McCurdy was, and have no idea what those two shows are, Kirsty. I've literally never heard of them. All I know about Nickelodeon is Justin Timberlake and that sort of era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, Next generation. Nickelodeon, <laughs> but anyway. Um, yeah, so I'd seen a little bit of the online chat because I was offline for a bit, um, trying to, like, you know, stay away from <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> but I saw a little bit, and then Ziva Talkani, who is our friend from Series 1, um, I had subscribed to her newsletter and she mentioned it um yeah as as a book that was you know about mother daughter issues which as we've discussed before we're both obsessed with yeah, completely <laughs> so it was on my list and what I did last week was restart my audible account so I will get it on audiobook although as you're aware it takes me about a year <laughs> to get through an audiobook. I, mean, I still haven't finished Dave Grohl's audiobook because I've <laughs> and started on the day it came out. But that's mostly to do with the fact that I don't commute anywhere. So <laughs> I and I don't tend to listen to them in the house. But I've got quite a lot of train journeys and stuff coming up because I'm doing lots of chairing, so I can listen to it then. So I, it's it's a weird to say I'm looking forward to it, but I'm really interested in what she's got to say about that sort of relationship. As you were talking about it, it it made me think about Mariah Carey's memoir, which Mm. is also, I wish somebody had told me just how, I had no idea how horrific her childhood was. 
and read it just before Christmas, which is not the time. <laughs> During the pandemic as well, like while we were locked down and I'm like, that is not the time to read a book about an abusive family. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's very much my bag, which sounds like a terrible thing to say, but here we are. <laughs> did you know, I did I did think of you as I was as I was listening to it. <laughs> take take that in the in the best way. Um also just a mention for the cover, which is just one of my favorite book covers. It's done like one of these um 1980s, 1990s teen teen fiction covers mm. um with her holding a pink urn of ashes, looking very happy um it's just it's a very it's a very witty cover it made me think of like sweet by high type exactly stuff, yeah exactly yeah definitely so um sign me up as a massive Jeanette McCurdy fan despite never seeing her act in anything because as we've covered I'm 40 um but I I think probably along with a lot of people will be following to see what she does next and, and hope that she whatever she does next is fully of her own volition and what she wants to do with her life i hope she returns just to get to hear you say mccurdy again because i'm sure other people listening to this are enjoying that <laughs> as much as i am what are my three accents <laughs> what about you what have you been reading i have been reading waiting for ted by marieki big i hope i've said that right marieki this is published by dead ink and um i think think hang on I've got it in front of me it should tell me somewhere it comes out next week but that'll be before this episode goes this that'll be after this episode goes out so when you're listening to this it's out now again this is another one with a brilliant cover and has been all over Twitter so it looks like one of those 1950s housewives um with a like house coat on and the little white collar and the perfectly set hair and she's holding up her it looks like a lemon meringue pie we had a conversation about lemon meringue pie the other day in my friendship group, and it says that I'm the only person who thinks lemon meringue pie is great. But anyway, <laughs> oh, no, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, yes, of course Next it is. It's lemon meringue it. pie. Yeah. Um, but in the place of her eyes are two big red circles, and the title and the name of the author. So there's sort of that idea that there might be something a little bit demonic about, <laughs> about this. So it's about Rosalind, and Rosalind is in her house waiting for her husband Ted to arrive no sorry not her husband they are not married he has never been interested in them getting married however Rosalind has set up the perfect life so she is an Instagram influencer she has spent a fucking fortune on making the house look perfect and it's all come to a bit of a head over the fact that she bought a shares long (laughs) that Ted told her she could not buy. <laughs> and she bought the, the, the like, scene. So there's lots of set pieces because it's told in quite short chapters while she waits for him. And every and almost every chapter starts with, I'm waiting for Ted. And this to try and get away with it. She invites his mum and his two sisters around so he, he might not notice that they're sitting on a brand new shirt on. <laughs> like it's bonkers. Um, and, yeah, I think... And so she's a lot... Um, it's also about class. She's a, she's from quite a wealthy family um, mm. and he's from a working class family. So there's that sort of clash there. He's also a bit manly man, although he's... he's I, I was a bit mm, with this because I like writing against stereotype, but also he's an estate agent and I just went, oh. <laughs> um, but he is sort of, you know, drinks beer, watches football, mm. that sort of guy. And she doesn't seem to have anything apart from this desire to make everything 
look perfect really she's mm-hmm. got a, she has she's friends with the woman next door but the woman next door like keeps trying to warn her that this this is not going to end well she even does her tarot cards to try and get her to like you know take it in that way um yeah so things deteriorate it's only a short book it's uh where are we 188 pages and yeah things deteriorate as it goes on and the ending well I enjoyed the ending loads which which says when when you read it you will discover that says an enormous amount about me but I guarantee you will also enjoy it (laughs) and the thing that I was wondering about the whole way through this was I was like who am I supposed to be rooting for and and it took me actually almost to the end to go they're all horrible but I have very much enjoyed reading about them (laughs) (laughs) I think it's that whole like sort of peeling away the Instagrammer thing and mm. you know just people who always post those pictures where and I just think fucking hell how much time do you spend sorting your house out who could be asked <laughs> I, I find those Instagram accounts weirdly fascinating in that I don't not only do I not understand those sorts of influences who go to that sort of level to constantly curate their life and curate their you know the aesthetic of their kitchen um but I also don't understand the people who follow them unironically mm. do you know what I mean I mean there's plenty of kind of um sort of rubberneckers like me just going <laughs> what the fuck is this like what is going on here I don't follow them but there are various people I occasionally look up and go well they're still mad um but I I don't I don't quite get the um the appeal of those sorts of accounts because it's so obviously fake but is it I mean am I just coming at it from not is it obvious not is it fake yes it is fake but is it obviously fake am I just going at it from a massively cynical perspective do people really think this is how all their houses look and they haven't just like shoved all their crap in the cupboard out of the range of the camera do you know what I mean now I've started to wonder if this is just an extension of like women's magazines and Mm. that whole like it's it's for me it's still part of that you must live your life in this way because then what's going to happen is you get up you go to work you come home you clean you make dinner you look after your kids you go to bed (laughs) yeah you go to work and and you do you you programmed it's robotic you programmed you do what not society because um don't like lumping us all in together but what I don't know those in charge the one percent the patriarchy whoever um want us to do because then you mm. not you won't got time to think for yourselves and and people aspire to that because then it's like that you're working within the system and everything's great and beautiful and absolute bollocks go outside and smell some grass or something <laughs> <laughs> sunrise is amazing you know make some time for it <laughs> I, I do really want to read this. I do have a copy. Um, I am very keen to get to it and I will get to it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the very large pile of things I want to read right now. <laughs> yes, I too have one of those, but I have work to do. So things are getting yeah. read. <laughs> yeah. But work to do, so the things for work are getting read rather yeah, yeah. than... <laughs> um, Yes, right. So, filth week. <laughs> not in week, the Irvin Welsh sense. Not in the Irvin Welsh sense. Week of filth. Um, this week we are talking about two books that are uh, focused on sex and sexual relationships 
of various types. Um, the first is the anthology of short stories called Kink, which is uh, edited by R.O. Kwan and um, Garth Greenwell. It's published by Simon & Schuster uh, in 2021. Um, and we have Rewrote in Symbols, Love and Lust by Arab Women Writers, which is a collection of poems, short stories, extracts, um, other bits of writing by, that's edited by Selma Dabar. Dabba, I'm not quite sure, sorry. Um, and that was published also 2001 by Saki Books. Uh, so we're not too late to these, just about a year late, which is not bad going, considering some of the books on my shelf. <laughs> um, I think, should we start, are we starting with kink? Are we, are we going in at the deep end, as it were? <laughs> Everything yes. now becomes an innuendo. I am going to try and have a very serious discussion, but um, I also have the brain of a child. So I will find innuendo wherever it can be found. But also, before we get into this, not so much in kink, mm. but when we got onto We Wrote in Symbols, my favourite bits were the ones that made me laugh. And I think people who can do that when they're writing about sex are great because, like, you know, sex is funny. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, without wanting to jump ahead too much, I think those stories in both collections that were rounded, kind of grounded in realism mm. um, and real life including the funny bits, uh, were the most successful and interesting stories. Um, but so Kink is, as it sounds, um, a collection of short stories by some really well-known writers, actually, uh, that are all to do with Kink in different ways. Um, and I thought of the, the, I think the best way to explain the kind of mission statement of the book or whatever is, this is a section from the introduction, which I'm just going to, read um i'm actually going to flip these two paragraphs just because i think they sort of it, it's a better explained if i flip these two paragraphs so kink is often pathologized in popular culture the attendant desires flattened simplified and turned into a joke a cause for only shame in movies television shows and popular books kinky people are often serial killers emotionally stunted plutocrats and other stock villains or exaggerated figures of fun instead of pathologizing kink the stories in this anthology treat it as a complex psychologically rich act of communication Literature is the great technology for the communication of consciousness, and these stories are acute in their exploration of psychology. But they also recognise that all experience is embodied and that and that bodies are always situated in the realities of history and culture, the crucibles of class, race, nationhood and gender. By taking kink seriously, these stories recognise how the questions raised in intimate kinky encounters, questions of power, agency, identity, can help us to interrogate and begin to rescript the larger cultural narratives that surround us. In many of these stories, kink can also deepen and complicate urgent conversations around how consent is established, negotiated, and sometimes broken. And I think that is, um, I think those are all incredibly good points. And I think there is a tendency, you know, you mentioned kink and I'm as guilty as ever. You kind of go, oh, ha, 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 ha. I could laugh behind your hand. Um, but actually, there's some really serious stuff that's raised by a lot of the stories in this collection. And I think that the ones that I think work the best as stories and have the most to say are the ones that situate kink within people's everyday life. Because 
you know, people are multifaceted and as well as being into whatever kink they're into, they've also got to go to work and ring their sister and, you know, go about their daily lives and negotiate other relationships in and outside of the kink community. Um, and I think the ones that are most interesting are the ones that sort of grapple with that rather than the kind of extended sex. The sex is almost the least interesting bit of this book. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I agree with what you just said, mostly, apart from that introduction, I think, was written by Aura Kwan. And she wrote, I think her story is the best story in this collection. It's a great story. And it, but it doesn't really relate to real life in the way that you've just talked about it. So it's very much sort of um, in this bubble of her and her husband. So it's this it's this woman and her husband. In fact, I'm going to read a bit of it because this made, this one did make me laugh, actually. So I think they've been together, is it three years at this point? Yeah. I'll find out because it says. So, yeah, here we go. A year married, three together. Say they had sex every three days on average. Once every... Once every three days, 121.7 fucks a year. So 365 times they'd played hide the salami, the same stick in the same hole, the stick in the hole, the stick in the hole, the stick in the... Who wouldn't feel bored? The fact that he hadn't yet meant nothing. He was an outlier. Recently, he'd eaten the same lamito every weekday for a month from the Chilean sandwich place next to his office because it was good, tasty, filling, reliable. Why mess around? Maybe he should make the straightforward effort and believe his wife when she said she was fine. But now that he was thinking about it, he couldn't, not really. She was so kind to him that she couldn't be trusted. And what comes out is his wife, Jayun, um, is into kink, but it's not quite sure how to tell him. So they go to a, a dominatrix and basically he's shown what she's into. But he, I, I loved this, that sort of stereotype reversal. That yeah. she, who, who would normally, you know, in stories be a kind of submissive wife a submissive in a totally different way and yeah. he is not interested in hitting her or hurting her in any way whatsoever it terrifies him when they when they go to see this dominatrix and yeah and I so I thought her exploration of that was really really well done yeah and I think I think I would still class that as being within what I was talking about so yes it's not about the vagaries of everyday life of going to work and picking up the kids from school or whatever but I what I liked about that story is how it's navigated within a relationship where one person um one person's sort of kink or desires do not match up with the person they love and that must be a very complex situation to be in because if you you love this person and you want them to be satisfied and fulfilled and all of this sort of stuff but what would lead to that makes you really really uncomfortable I think that's why it's interesting that it's the male person that you know it's the male half of the couple who's really un you know really unsure and doesn't really want to go through with it but does it to sort of keep his wife happy because I think if it were the other way around and the wife was sort of being made to you know not being made to but sort of feeling like they had to do something then that strikes a very different power dynamic and that's that's what's interesting about these a lot of these stories is how the power, power dynamic is played out. The idea of a wife going along to with something to keep her husband happy that she's not particularly into has a very different connotations mm. to a very sweet, lovely husband wanting to do whatever makes his wife happy. 
So I think the fact that she chose to do it that way around makes it a really interesting conversation about power and agency and all those things that were brought up in the introduction. Yeah, definitely. And I think that comes up in some other stories. One of one of the best. So I'm just going to keep repeating that word now. Hers, hers was my favourite. One of the others that's really good is Brandon Taylor's. I just want to point out here. I mean, he's an exceptional writer anyway, Brandon Taylor. But what one of the things that I wanted to point out here as well is that all these writers are named. So mm. I understand when we get on to We Talking Symbols, I understand why some people in that are anonymous. But there was a collection that I think we're talking about doing in a later series that came mm. out last year that is literally called Anonymous. And they are very big name writers who've all written under pseudonyms or just not included any sort of name or whatever. So like, you know, what am I trying to get at? I think it's really important that these people have written under their own names, actually. And I don't think it's that sort of thing in it that people call brave. And I'm like, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, it's just, it's like, it's normalising it as in, you know, like we were talking about these being, and perhaps that's why some of these stories work so well in terms of domestic situation, because these aren't mm-hmm. people that are separating this from normal everyday life. So the Brandon Taylor one, who's a writer I love anyway, he's the sort of, so I ended up reading his novel mm-hmm. because um, my friend who is very picky <laughs> absolutely raved about it and I thought oh I'm not sure because it's college novel blah 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 campus novel and whatever well I got in at midnight and started reading it and then like couldn't put it down all weekend so I think he's a he's a superb writer and he writes about this older couple who have hired this younger guy um to be part of their relationship for the summer and it's coming towards an end and again, like you were saying about power dynamics, that's the really that's the that's the crux of the story. I mean, there there is there isn't really any sex in that at all. There's bits that are alluded to, but most of it is about how he fits in in their friendship group, which is not really at all because they're all very like middle class Americans, and he's not, and a lot younger than them all. And yeah, and there's. I'll not give it away because it, it, the revelation comes at the end, but mm. yeah, the power dynamic shifted within the couple as well. The, the last line in that story is absolutely superb as well. Like it just nails what's happened completely. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a really good story. Um, I think my favourite story in the collection is a story called Impact Play by Peter Mountford, which, as you pointed out before we started recording, is just the best name to have in a collection of kink. Um, And this is about a couple who have got together as a result of an affair originally, um, but the, the, the man has now left his wife and they are embarking on a, a kind of proper relationship, as it were. And they have met through the kink um, community. They That's what's brought them together. And one of the tri- first trips they make as a kind of official couple, as it were, is uh, to Portland for a, for a kink fest, which is like a kind of industrial roadshow of kink, um, which takes place in this sort of out of town exhibition centre the SECC if you're from Glasgow or the Birmingham (laughs) NEC or you know something along those lines and it's also there's a background to um, the guy's relationship with his cousin the cousin is a kind of very important figure in his life and has been 
all his life and he's going to be taking his girlfriend to meet her for the first time. So the, the, the kind of really striking scene in that is when they, they kind of turn up at this cavernous exhibition centre and the first thing they see as they go through the door is um, this guy getting a blowjob basically right by the entrance. And he has this thing of kind of going, oh, I don't know where to look. And he's like, well, obviously these people want to be looked at. That's why they've positioned themselves right by the entrance. You know, <laughs> all of this is innuendo. Um, <laughs> where the most, you know the highest number of people can can see them yeah so they are having this conversation about um going to see his cousin and they're having this quite sort of not pedestrian but just a, a fairly normal conversation about when where the girlfriend's going to be introduced to this cousin you know things like you know I guess I would like to see Betsy while we're here he said surprising himself it's important but being here reminds you of your cousin, she said and laughs. He laughed too, shaking his head. He hadn't talked about whether or not to contact Betsy since they had been driving past Olympia. Um, he's like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, I get it. He shook his head, let's walk. So they start to walk through. And actually, while they're having this quite serious conversation, the background sound is a cattle prod crackling against the thigh of a screaming woman. <laughs> Um, you know, a man with a horse's head cantered down the aisle towards them, his weirdly long and thin flaccid penis swinging around like a plop, plop, prop. <laughs> um, above them, a fleshy naked woman suspended in a cage. And then it goes on, and, and I think this is something we were going to talk about generally. It was as if everyone there was vying for attention, as if the point of the dungeon was to exhibit yourself. Maybe everyone was, first and foremost, either a voyeur or an exhibitionist. Probably so. Exhibitionist plus pony, exhibitionist plus masochist. His life with Ariana, who's his wife, was intended to be looked at, admired. He'd thought about that before, how he was, after all, a curator. And it is, you know, he's he's an art curator. And it's, so there's just all these layers and there's more stuff about, you know, how he ended up with the specific kinks that he has and what, you know, where the background and where the origin story of those are. And I think it's, it's the only story, correct me if I'm wrong, it's the only story that really investigates where the, the origins of certain kinks come from, from a, for, for an individual. Um, I would argue that Carmen... Uh, Carmen Maria Machado's story does that. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, but yeah. in a different way. Uh, for me, this one was the only one that talks about shame and how people shame you if they find out these things. So his, mm. is it his, oh, it's his ex. When they're talking about going to uh, Kinkfest, so he doesn't tell Betsy that's where him and uh, Pilar are going. The day after the divorce finalised, Oriana had Facebooked a drunken screed revealing that he'd spent $1,100 on sex toys in the last year, according to financial disclosures. She wrote that he'd been secretly obsessed with a fetish lifestyle. Seattle was just stodgy enough, even its arts community, that being a freaky two-timing BDSM practitioner could jeopardise his shot at taking over his boss's job. Have you heard about Gavin? People might whisper wide-eyed, the assistant curator of the Fillmore. Oriana deleted her message the next day, but presumably a number of her 2,000 Facebook friends, among them a lot of the Seattle art world, art world and Betsy and some of her friends had already seen it. No one ever mentioned it to him, but why would they? And you're just like, yes, well. <laughs> um, yeah, I thought I thought it was a great story. There was just so much to it. Mm. 
Yes. And that thing that that you just mentioned about the performance as well, I think comes up again and again. So mm. in um, Kim Fu's st story, which I hesitate to call a story, actually, I think it's more a bit of a fantasy. Um, it's not really, well, it's, it's not a story in the traditional sense. Has it got a plot? Well, stuff happens. Um, but that's very much very theatrical like it's set up in a theater although mm. I didn't quite believe it it read to me like a dream scenario mm. um yeah and what else we've got Chris Krause's is very deliberately like an art performance or a theatrical performance which if you've read Chris Krause before that will not be unfamiliar to you um and also um Carmen Maria Machado's is set it's got a, at the heart of it is a woman who's a performer and the young girl in it whose mum died so it's set um in Paris I want to say it's Victorian correct me if I'm wrong Kirsten <laughs> <laughs> no I think it is <laughs> I don't know whether it actually says she's at the Grand Guignol so somebody who knows anything about that history of there will I'm sure correct me but she um yeah she becomes a playwright and causes an uh, an interesting scenario or at least thinks she's going to cause a particular scenario in the theatre and it turns into something mm. quite different um but like all Carmen Maria Machado's stories I thought that was very very well written but you couldn't call it short she couldn't write a short story if like you know a contract dependent on it <laughs> <laughs> but it is good and that and that explores that dynamic between the older woman and the younger woman and then moves on to when she's with in fact it does a sort of quick precis of her life doesn't it towards mm. the end so you do get that sort of origin story like it's it's predominantly her origin story I guess is mm. the whole thing yeah I really like that story the other story I really loved is actually the first story which is called The Cure by Melissa Phoebos um now she's written I think three books and I haven't read any of them although I now really want to I'm, I'm sort of familiar with her by reputation I've not actually read any of her work um and that had just some great lines you know there's a lot of stuff um you know you know what you were saying about the ones that um are, are funny uh the, these are the ones that um really stood out you know she's this is basically about um a woman who as one of her friends says, has run out of lesbians um, and ends up having sex with uh, a man. But actually, the power she discovers in herself is um, by stopping when she wants to stop and not going through with it because she feels like she has to, which is the situation that I think a lot of women have probably been in with men at various points. Um, you know, and this is someone who she has known, you know, for a long time, an old friend. Quotes, he was a nice guy, she'd always thought, by what she meant that he wasn't terrible. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's her sort of trying to have sex with him, um, sort of feeling vaguely attracted to him, but not massively. And then realising um, that actually it was all quite tedious and, and boring. Um, and one of my favourite lines which is uh, in the middle of them actually having sex, was she knew what came next and it was not her. <laughs> yes, I also marked that line. <laughs> uh, um, and she just thinks, why should I, this is boring, why am I doing it? So she just tells him to get off and chucks him out and that's it. And that's then what she does. 
uh, it's just a very, very clever story. Um, I also liked uh, the line in it. Uh, masculinity was a glass vase perpetually at the edge of the table. That's the other one that I marked. <laughs> of course it was. We're slightly weird, me and you. Yeah, we are. At least we're weird in the same way. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. I own two of her books that I've not read either of them. Um, <laughs> she was recommended to me by a friend. Her memoir was recommended to me by a friend because she used to be a dominatrix, didn't she? So mm, Yeah. I said, yeah. Um, yeah. She's also written um, a book called Bodywork more recently that's about writing your own story that looks really interesting too. So, yeah. And was published think, by Manchester University Press. Oh, was it? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I really liked about this story, uh, it was the, the humour, but also there's quite a serious message underneath mm-hmm. it. You know, it says, I mean, the line before, before masculinity was a glass vase perpetually at the edge of the table, It was easier to keep fucking them than to find out how awful they might be when sexually thwarted. A potential she had learned was hard to overestimate. And actually the the point of the story is this woman is is finding out and is actually just making that decision again. Nope, this is not doing anything for me. And so we will stop. Thank you very much. Rather than just sort of lying back and thinking of, you know, lying back and think of England or America in her case, presumably. Um, (laughs) Yeah, maybe. Um, which leads me on to talk about trigger warning for this. There should have been a trigger warning for Garth Greenwell's story. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> trigger warning for rape. I can't, there was a bit, right? So before I, I, I'm almost speechless because I don't, I know he was one of the editors. I don't actually think that story belonged in this collection. It stood out like so much compared to the others. And it's not the only story about gay sex either. So it's not that. But it's so it's set in the same sort of world as his first novel. So people who've read that will know that, you know, it's in a um I won't say Eastern European country. I think I'm right, even though they talk about Soviet style apartments. I think it's Bulgaria, if I remember correctly. Anyway, there's um there was a line that I picked out before the rape happens mm. where he says, so he's basically gone to visit this guy in his house. He's grieving because his partner's died. So he's having these random encounters with men. God knows how he's found it because it feels like it's set in a sort of time where you wouldn't necessarily be picking up people on the internet. Mm. But he, um, he's got him on the floor and he shifts on top of him. And he says, I know there are many like it who go to great lengths to find others who will hurt them in exactly this way, although I've never been able to fathom the pleasure they take from it. But then there's no fathoming pleasure the forms it takes or their sources. Nothing we can imagine is beyond it. However far beyond the pale of our own desires for someone, it is the intensest desire. The key to the latch of the self or the promise key, a key that perhaps never turns. And at that point, oh, it is websites. He mentions just after that he's, he's visiting websites. But at that point, I was like, yeah, there's nothing about this story erotic about this story to me either. And then it mm. turns into this really horrific encounter. And yeah, it just felt very jarring to me compared with the rest of the collection. Yeah, and I think it's it's the kind of biggest example of actually the stories I liked the least in this collection were the ones that were essentially extended sex scenes. Mm. Um I mean, some of them were very well written. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of Alexander Chee's mm. story, 
um, which is very, very graphic, and the majority of it is a sex scene. Um, uh, he's a, obviously he's a great writer, but that sort of sort of writing of sex, where that was the bulk of the story, mm. I just sort of by the end of it found quite dull. Um, not to do with the quality of the writing, but just the kind of as I said at the beginning what I was finding interesting about stories around kink were the power dynamics and the, you know, the psychological side and, you know, the, 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 the how it fits within a relationship rather than just, you know, reading quite graphic sex over and over again, sort of just get numb to it after a while. So, so think- many penises, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Which has just reminded me of a line in one of the poems in the next book, but I'll come yes. to I'm gonna, that's a, that's a teaser <laughs> for later. When I was thinking about this earlier, I was thinking about context. So if you are writing something that's essentially just an, an extended sex scene, you're removing all the context from it, even though like Garth Greenwald's got this little bit about how he's grieving his previous partner. It's a tiny bit of the story. Mm. So, and sex in real life don't happen out of context, even if you've picked up a one night stand and that's like, mm. you know, whatever. It's not out of the context of your own personal situation. And I think that's what was missing in some of them. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it, yeah, because it just felt out of place and abrupt. Mm. The other thing that I wanted to mention before we move on, because we mm. haven't talked about them, is there are four stories about trans people in this collection. One is written by Roxane Gay, which I wasn't sure about that one. (laughs) The other three, I thought, they're all written by trans writers, the other three, and I think showed a really interesting range of trans lives, because I read the Mm -hmm. first one, and the first one is about this couple who have both transitioned and one of them's depressed, um, and it was a bit... I think it's the fact that it deals with depression that I was like, mm. this is a bit of a grim tram story, which is fine. But if this is the only one in the collection, then I was like, God, is that what is that the, the one thing that you want? But actually, then what we got was the trans sex worker. But that turns like the encounter that she has turns into something slightly different. Mm-hmm. And then we get this domestic story about this couple who are living on a on this street. And there's someone there who doesn't like them, but their relationship actually is beautifully painted Mm. so I liked that we got this real range of trans stories and insights into trans lives that I thought was more interesting than I've seen in in a like sort of mainstream collection so I thought that was really well done yeah and I like the fact that the story um about the trans sex worker is done not in a kind of purient way is is it's not focused on the trans person as sexual fantasy it's it's from her perspective and she's absolutely the one in control and knows her own power and knows exactly what she's doing and what she's getting from it and what she's giving to it um and so that I'm I'm really glad that in that sense that the story was done that way around rather than it being kind of fetishistic don't know about you but it reminded me of Casey Pletts writing that one yeah 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 for sure I thought of that yeah so interesting collection I'm glad there's a mainstream collection yeah for sure absolutely um 
and I, I think there's some really, really interesting stuff. And certainly Peter Mountford, Mark, um, <laughs> I'm going to look for more of his writing. Cool. I, I've already looked up Kim Foos, even though that story is not a story. <laughs> <laughs> but she writes, uh, funnily enough, because it's sort of theatrical and when I went looking for it, she writes sort of magical realist stuff, which I think you could tell probably from the, which is very much up my street in it. So, yeah. yeah. Right. So the um, the other book we're talking about is we wrote in symbols love and lust by arab women writers edited by selma dabar dabar um which is a great collection i really really like this it's a really nice mix of women from you know the the, the gamut of the arab world and you know not all the women even live in the arab world but are arab women you know there's one set in england or you know various other places um lots of different experiences across all different time periods from kind of quite ancient poetry through to contemporary stuff um we've got uh, sort of lesbian relationships we've got stories that deal with um islam we've got stories that deal with western culture we've got poetry we've got basically all of human arab life is here it's a it's a really lovely connection there's a really good introduction as well uh which makes the very good point that you know we i think a lot of us particularly in the west have this really hackneyed notion of you know the arab you know arab women are oppressed and islam of, of course not all um arabic women are arab women are muslim but a, a large proportion are uh, you know islam is this sort of uh, very prescriptive religion and sex is shameful and etc cetera, etc cetera. and actually this introduction makes the very good point that it didn't used to be um and the thing as ever that caused it is is western influence <laughs> we ruined it again everybody um we came in and ruined everything um before that there was no sort of expectation of a heteronormative relationship there was no um you know female desire was not seen as shameful um it in fact uh bad sex was grounds for a woman to leave her husband um quite acceptably quite right and quite right too <laughs> um so yeah it's another case of of us coming along and, and and ruining everything for everyone once again well freud gets mentioned doesn't he and i'm like yeah well mm. he ruined it as well <laughs> he ruined everything <laughs> um i loved this i thought this was a really great like it's really varied it's really interesting I didn't love everything equally, obviously, because that's just what happens when you've got 280 pages. And quite a lot, there's a lot in here because lots of the prose pieces are extracts rather than full short stories, loads of poetry. The poetry made me howl. Like mm. my favourite bits were the ones that properly made me laugh. So, well, I teased one just now. Let me find it. I'm only going to read the beginning of this one. So... This one by Rita Al-Kayat, which is translated from the French by Sophie Lewis, is called Messalina Unbound, and it starts with, she can never have enough hard-ons. 
which is which is it's just a um what's the word i want uh, in praise of women doing what they like basically having as much sex <laughs> as they want it's great um there was another one that made me laugh called uh, if you want to know by um alward aljalanye um with apologies if i've pronounced that wrong which is translated from the arabic by abdullah al-udhari if you want to know how the old man fared with me this is what went on he lulled me on the whole night through and when dawn flashed his private lips thundered rainlessly and his key wilted in my lock <laughs> yes i liked that one too i also like this one by imtiad orumakaye i think that's how you say it which is also translated from the arabic by abdullah al-dahari it says, I urge you to come faster than the wind to mount my breast and firmly dig and plough my body and don't let go until you've flushed me thrice. And all I could think was, you're going to get cystitis, love, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I really love this made me laugh as well. So this is Muna Alfik, um, translated from the Arabic by Robin Merger, and it's called Unknown Soldier. I stick my middle finger up his full arse, bite my back teeth into what's between his thighs. My 400-metre runner owes to me his excellent performances in sprints. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, there are are also some really serious pieces in here as well. Um, There's a poem by Shirok Amin, Hyman Secrets, Girl with a Box, Seed Rich Box, Carry My Secret Pulp, Scraped Virginity Pressed Like a New Flower, Between Old Pages, Cloudy Blue, Behind Me, Moon Glowing, Shaft Cut, Scandal Stained, Cretaceous White, Carry My Hyman Secret, O Scabarous Secret of One More Protean Woman, Re-Virginized. So there's, there's stuff in there that is to do with um, the sort of more contemporary expectations on some Arab women, Arab women, um, and this kind of cultural obsession with virginity, um, and sort of demureness and and all that sort of stuff. And I really liked the stories that sort of subverted that. So there's a story in here, yeah. So there's um, a story by uh, Yusra Samir Imran called "Catch No Feelings." which is um, this uh, woman who has been meeting a man secretly for sex several times uh, in Riyadh and all the preparations that she's gone through, you know, kind of hiding clothes under her um, abaya and making sure that she's not wearing lipstick until she gets to the hotel and then making sure her face is covered and, you know, going through all these things, not being seen in a corridor by herself and only going to certain hotels and whatever. Um, while at the same time sort of carrying out this illicit affair um, which has largely been conducted through social media and WhatsApp originally and then sort of moved into real life Um, and I that was it was quite funny in places and but just playing with that idea of again these culture these particular cultural set of expectations on on Saudi women um, before you know, the, the point where there's still kind of morality police topical at the moment, unfortunately, um, on the streets and everything they're going through just to carry on, but still carrying on this affair, you know. Yeah, again, like the other collection, I think the most interesting ones 
were the thing I mean the poetry I loved most of it actually but the, the stories the more interesting ones were the ones that were like meaty stories <laughs> sorry <laughs> um, I really one of the ones I really enjoyed is called lovers should only wear moccasins which is a great title so that's by Jemana Haddad translated from the French by Sophie Lewis um one thing about this I have to point out one, one little like hiccup in this. So there's always a lot on social media about how men write about women's anatomies and <laughs> how bad it is. But there is a line in this. So basically this woman, um, the the woman that the story is about, she decides that she's got one last night in Paris. She's going to do something she's never done before. So she goes to... Um, she got she basically goes to a like swingers club or an erotic mm. club with a couple that she knows. Anyway, so it was a very dark room, but the three friends could clearly make out that the hostess who greeted them had a neckline cut very low to her navel. She propelled her breasts magically forward, hit <laughs> their coats and bags, and I'm like, she did what? How? <laughs> I don't know. However, what I really liked about this, and it moves between, so it's in two voices. So there's the third person narrator, but also you get the woman's perspective. So they're at this, um, yeah, swingers club in a basement garage on the Rue de Cherche-Midi, and she finds it incredibly boring and cliched. And it mm. reminded me of Peter Mountford's um, story. Mm. And part of what was really nice about this is that she... Um, so the person who tells her that um, lovers should only wear moccasins is her partner. And that's what, you know, she's thinking about while she's there. It doesn't really matter what's going on around her or what people are trying to say to her. She's kind of commenting on how how much of a performance it is and how naff the whole thing seems to be. And But done in a really sort of, not in a, a shaming way, just in a kind of like amusing way that people think they're doing something you know mm. extroverted and amazing and she's just like oh it's a bit tedious <laughs> <laughs> well it's a bit like what we were saying about um some of the stories where the ones that are just looking a long sex scene mm. are sort of the least interesting ones mm. um but speaking of performance different sort of performance i think my favorite story in the collection is one called fig milk which is well it's actually an excerpt uh by samia issa she's translated from arabic by claire savina um, and this is a story about a uh, woman who she is, well, it talks about her sagging breasts and, you know, she's a grandmother and then it turns out she's 44, which <laughs> thanks very much. Image is me, so. <laughs> um, but she has, um, up to this point in her life, not really discovered her own body, has not really looked at it, certainly hasn't touched it. Um, and she discovers the pleasures of it. Uh, sort of accidentally <laughs> while she's um, in the the toilet at a it's like a refugee camp I think isn't it mm. um, or some kind of camp certainly and um, she uh, quite gets into the habit of uh, going at certain points every night and um, doing a little self-discovery <laughs> uh, which uh, she is quite vocal about enjoying let us say uh, and a male uh, member of the camp happens to be, <laughs> happens, to be um, happens to be in the toilet next door and hears her, doesn't see her, but hears her 
and sort of gets a bit obsessed with her and keeps going back to make sure that he's there at the same time every day so that she can hear her enjoying herself enjoying herself and so it's this performance that she doesn't know she's giving essentially mm. and it becomes um you know this this thing that happens every day and then another man sort of clocks that something's afoot and manages to get into the toilet before the guy does and um he also enjoys listening to her and um but then it, the story ends with fatima unbelievable abu ali whispered skeptical and i thought she was so innocent and of course she is she's completely innocent that's the point um and she also doesn't know that these men are in there listening to her um but of course it's the women's fault obviously but as we were saying before we started recording it is unfortunately public lavatory as liminal space um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, performance without realising it's a performance. Yes, although that bit when the... when So he gets there, the, the first guy gets there to find the other guy in the toilet at the time that he knows he needs to be in there if he's going to listen to her. And it reminds me of that scene in Lightning Rods <laughs> when the guy from HR finds out what's going on accidentally because he's yes. in the toilet at the point someone turns up for their appointment. Yes, and the woman reverses into the toilet cubicle. <laughs> Yeah. what the hell is this <laughs> oh, yeah. one of the ones um that i am going to point out that i didn't like because mm. i think it's got a trope in it that i found really annoying so there's one that's written under a pseudonym of salome which is an interesting pseudonym mm. um, and it's called a wedding night for zen and what annoyed me about that is she goes to this wedding and there's this whole drama about it's a it's a wedding between um, a guy and this woman who used to be with his younger brother <laughs> or older brother. I can't remember. But it's, too, it's like basically she swapped from one brother to another. So there's this whole scandal going off. And this um, and the woman who's there with her husband, who's the person that we're following, she um, bumps into this younger guy. And you know that they're going to have some sort of encounter later on, but it's that whole random encounter with a younger random person. And I just thought, oh... Is that sexy though? Is it? <laughs> yeah. No, it's yeah. But no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like no, her husband's on stage basically doing a gig and then she's off in a tent shagging him, and I'm just like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Not for me. No. But on the whole, I thought this was a really, really great collection. And it's there's definitely lots of writers here that um I want to investigate further. I think the only one I was less keen on um, because I've read the whole book and I didn't particularly enjoy it. There's a um, excerpt from Adele by Lilena Slomani, ah. which I didn't love when I read it. I have to confess. I know lots of people do, so I'm accepting that's a me problem. I haven't um, read it. I've only read the nanny one. That, oh, I'm not reading bored. that one. No, no. Lullaby. Lullaby, that's it. Dead babies. No, no. No. <laughs> no, that's not happening um yeah definitely some writers in here that i want to investigate further although a lot of them actually have never been translated into english before because we're particularly crap about mm. translating books from from arabic um and arab countries as far as i'm aware i'd love someone to disabuse me of that notion i'm sure there's there's plenty of um brilliant ones out there probably by independent presses um 
but uh, yeah, I think, and in fact, some of these extracts, I think, have been translated specifically for this anthology. So I hope it brings, you know, some awareness to some of these writers because there's some really great writing in here. Yes, the two that the two that I wanted to read is Sabrina Mafus. Yeah, um, I want to read her history of water in the Middle East, which I think sounds really interesting. I've actually got her um, the things I would tell you British women, British Muslim women write, which is also by Saki Books. Mm -hmm. um, maybe we should put that on the list for a a future uh, series mm -hmm. and the other one's Lisa Lux because I bought her last collection ages ago during lockdown I think so yeah should get it off the shelf along with everything else that's still on the shelf <laughs> <laughs> yeah the Sabrina Mafus uh, poem in here that I, I really liked um, I'd definitely like to read more by her mm. I think so we should, we should end on the poem that you texted me and I went yeah I've already marked that <laughs> <laughs> because it's got podcast favourite in here. I'm not even going to tell you. You can just, if you listen to this regularly, you will know what the joke is. So uh, I say this, I've got to pronounce the author's name now. So this is by Khadija bint al-Mamun. It's translated from the Arabic by Wessem El-Malegi. El El it's called That Book. By God, tell that book with the heavy buttocks and a waist so small he is sweetest when he is ready, and when in ecstasy, he is the most gorgeous of all. He built a pigeon house and released a dove in the loft. I wish I were one of his pigeons or a <laughs> falcon, so he could do to me what he would love. If he wore white linen, the fabric would hurt or scratch him because he is so soft. I wish I were one of his pigeons is possibly one of the greatest lines of poetry ever committed to paper. I bet um, Vera said it to Jack on a nightly basis. Every night without fail. <laughs> what are we reading next week, Kirsty? Next week, we are reading two novels. Um, we are reading The Answers by Catherine Lacey, published by Granta, and we are reading The Startup Life by Tamima Anam, published by Canongate. Exciting times. That's filth. I think I haven't read them yet. <laughs> don't know yet. <laughs> It'd be rampant. <laughs> I'm going to be excited if there's bonus pigeons. That'd be always excited by bonus pigeons. <laughs> In the meantime, you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can follow us on Twitter to find out what we're up to. Kirsty is at the other Kirsty, and I am at Naomi Frisbee. Thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs>